Hi, I'm Felicity, a registered nurse cosmetic injector and founder of the Fit Injector Clinic. Welcome to my channel and video podcast streaming on YouTube, Spotify and Apple. Today is episode 16 and I have Natalie, founder of Sydney Aesthetic Studio, joining me today. Welcome. Thank you. So nice to have you here. Thanks Thank for joining you so me. Much. So Natalie, you are a registered nurse, cosmetic injector, and you own your own cosmetic clinic in the Sutherland Shire. We met a few years back. We were just counting up off air. We think it's about five years ago at a injectors event um, and we've stayed in touch ever since. And today we're going to be chatting about your background as a registered nurse, how you became a cosmetic injector, starting and expanding your own cosmetic business. And the main reason I reached out to you was to share your experience of managing a vascular occlusion post nose filler. Very interesting case. Very much so. Now, you presented this uh, multiple times at the Fresh Life Conference last year to help educate other nurses on the management of such events. Uh, it is such an important case to share for both patients and other nurses on the signs and symptoms of a vascular occlusion and what to look for in an injector when it comes to how possible complications will be managed. So start by telling us your background as a registered nurse. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been nursing for almost 14 years, which wow. feels like a lifetime. Uh, and prior to injecting, I was in the public health system and predominantly I did a lot of pediatric nursing. So that was my bread and butter. I have never done adult nursing because <laughs> they gross me out. Um, and I do actually do still dabble a little bit in hospital work just because yeah. it's still a massive passion of mine. Um, yeah, so that's basically my, my little bit of history. I've done a yeah. master's, done a few other things in education wise, but yeah. Oh, and just a few things. Fell into, <laughs> fell into injecting by chance. Yeah. Tell us, how did you become a cosmetic injector? Yeah. So a friend from work had started doing it and she said, I think you'd be great at it. So I thought, okay, maybe I will have a crack. So I went and did an extremely short two day course in <laughs> Melbourne. Um, as everyone does. As everybody does. I just wanted to get a feel for the industry and whether yeah. I'd actually be good at using a needle <laughs> in somebody's face because yeah. it is so different it's to completely different. in a hospital, right? Um, so I went and did that course and it was just a bit of fate. So when I did the course, I met a lovely anaesthetist and his wife was opening a clinic. No way. So they uh, kind of took me in. We did a whole bunch of training together and sort of learnt through, you know, all of the major um, brands and things like that, you know, injecting techniques, all that type of stuff, consultation, and did that over a couple of years together. That's um, such a good introduction. It was such wow. a great introduction. It meant that I didn't have to go into a large chain clinic. I did fall into one afterwards because yeah. their business model changed and things like that from the original owners. So I did then end up in an unnamed uh, large <laughs> chain clinic where I think a lot of people end up. Yeah, uh, It was still great for skill attainment and, totally. you and know, the training opportunities. Absolutely. And just, you know, how frequently you're injecting, you know, the yeah, more injecting. volume, like back-to-back -back clients. Absolutely. Yeah. And the more you're injecting, the more confident you are and the better you become at assessing faces and yeah. all of those types of things. So that's sort of where I ended up great yeah and then when did you start your own business yeah so it's almost three years in March it'll be three years Yay. and I think the motivation behind all of that was coming from a large chain clinic and it was really from an ethical standpoint of not having a cookie cutter approach to everybody's face it, yeah. it's not something that you can do everybody's face is so different and everybody is coming in for a different reason yeah um and also you know I really didn't like the financial sort of 
build on that and pressure. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to have targets. Yeah. And I don't feel like you can on a medical procedure or product. No. It doesn't no. work. And it's it, it's just unethical. So it that's is. why I was like, oh, I need to get out of here. It doesn't feel good. Um, and that's why I decided to start Sydney Aesthetic Studio. Yeah, well yeah. done. That's so good. You. And you was it last year? No, the year before that you moved into your new space. Yeah, so it was almost it was about 18 months ago yeah. I moved into my new space. So before that I was I was renting small spaces and I've opened my own clinic with two rooms and yeah, it's so great good. now. Yeah. yeah, and now you're covering both. You've got the cosmetic injectables and you've got the skin treatments as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they you know as well that they absolutely go hand in hand. So yeah. it's a really nice compliment and yeah, balance. It's it's very important. So good. All right, now into the juicy stuff. So I'm gonna leave this open-ended to you. Yeah. Uh, to basically Explain to us, start to finish, the management of this nose occlusion that you had. Absolutely. Last year, no, the year before. It was December 2022. So, yeah, just over a year and a bit ago. Um, So I had a lovely lady reach out to me after having uh, nasal filler at a different clinic. It was not not in my clinic. Uh, And it was about three to four days post-injection that she'd reached out to me. And after some investigation, I realized that she hadn't had any hyalase, which is obviously a dissolver of, of dermal filler. Yeah. Um, so she'd had this procedure done and it was in um, her nose and she'd been to the emergency department, she'd been back to the clinic twice and she'd been to her GP. So she knew something was wrong. She absolutely knew something was wrong. Okay. So the first 24 hours she noticed that she had quite a significant headache, was getting some erythema, so, you know, quite red all the way around her nose and, and sort of like creeping up into the middle of her forehead and had that persistent headache. So she went back to the clinic and they advised her that it definitely wasn't a vascular occlusion and that it was all fine and that she was okay to go home. She started to get more concerned. Some pustules formed another 24 hours later. So she went to the emergency department and the emergency department were not well-versed on on using highlays and it's not something they use very frequently. No. Um, she was reviewed by plastics and they did do a CT scan on her and yeah. did not actually find an occlusion, which was very oh. interesting. But because it was so small, it was probably really difficult to see. Yeah. Um, but then the bruising came, the swelling came, the pustules got worse, um, and then she ended up with me. Yeah. Um, and so I was very shocked when the poor woman walked in the door. It yeah. was quite an intense experience. She had quite a bulbous um, bridge of her nose and tip. It was quite and She extreme. must have been in so much pain at She that was point. in tears. The poor thing, she'd, she'd had such intense pain for almost four days and it just progressively got worse. Yeah. So basically when she landed on my doorstep, I, I said, I can't let you leave until I at least have a, have a really, really good go at getting rid of this for you yeah. because – you know, there are further complications that can happen. She could have had further tissue um, breakdown, yeah, necrosis. Um, she might have needed um, like nasal plastics, you know, I don't know. She could have needed reconstruction. Exactly. She could have gone blind. Yeah. There were, and these were real possibilities for her because it was so late after yeah, being well, that's injected. Yeah, three or four days after. This is terrifying. Yeah, this is a really long time. So I contacted Fresh, obviously, and Dr. John Holbrook was amazing yeah. and, like, helped me through the entire process. It took about five hours on the first attempt at injecting her and we <sighs> used three vials of highlays. I'm like goosebumps while you're telling this. <laughs> three vials of highlays and I was really nervous. And I wasn't nervous in using 
the actual highlights. Yeah. I think what I was more nervous about was I didn't know what product was in her face. So yeah. I wasn't actually 100% sure that I could dissolve it. Yeah. Um, and I was also unsure about how much damage was already occurring under the skin and whether I was actually going to be able to reverse it by yes. that stage. Was it already done or was it, you know, exactly? Able to and be also, done? um, you know, not knowing what product, but how much product or exactly where they've injected it. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I was privy eventually to that information, but it still. But on that first day when you've got that patient, you, absolutely. Yeah, you don't have that absolutely. information. So we, we did, we, we absolutely just flooded the whole entire area and sort of just lived on a prayer. Yeah. Uh, when she did walk in, she didn't have capillary refill mm. in any of her nose. And so had it spread right up? It had spread to about three quarters yeah. of the way up her forehead. And she started to get tissue breakdown she was yeah. getting some sores her pustules started to burst it was quite it did was she quite have any like blurred vision at this point no but the the headaches were extremely intense for yeah. her and interestingly enough when we had started the high lays almost the first thing that had changed for her was the instant decrease of the headache oh, wow. and okay. she burst into tears because mm. she just thought oh my goodness I can't believe that, how much pain I have been in pressure for, for so long yeah um and so it took it took about four to five hours to get rid of some of it. I mean, we couldn't see what we had gotten rid of, and obviously yeah. she became more inflamed, more and swollen. with the skin already being discolored and bruised, it hard was really for you hard. to assess Very that difficult. capillary refill as well. We did we did get uh, it was sluggish, yeah. but we did get capillary refill, so we were confident enough to send her home because something was working. Great, and then I reassessed her and. This was very late at night. This was between 7 p.m. and midnight. Oh, my gosh. So this is the day one you've picked her up. You've spent five hours yep. and used three vials of Hylase. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Sluggish cap refill and you've sent, sent her, her home. home. Yeah. Uh, and then we got her back the next morning at 9 a.m. to yep. reassess the situation. She was a lot more calm. Did you sleep that night? No. <laughs> absolutely not and it's like you didn't even inject it but you've taken on this physically emotionally absolutely I did not sleep for about five days I saw her no. for five consecutive days yeah and the so following like just day take a pillow to your clinic and honestly I I, uh, I just really wanted to help her because I was so scared that something really totally uh, you know more permanent was going to exactly happen to and her. that duty of care you're like she's in my hands even though you haven't done this procedure to her she's in your hands now and you're like I need to get this get this yeah I need to get her. this gone for her yeah um, so on the second morning, we did another two vials yeah. um, and we were satisfied after that. It was about an hour and a half maybe um, and we got, you know, brisk cap refill. It was yeah. probably on the three seconds, yeah. two to three seconds, but it was far more better, like far better than it was when she first walked in. Yeah. Um, the bruising was significant by that stage because I had added to that. <laughs> yeah. um, but the swelling had started to already reduce, which was really Good. amazing. And her headache was almost completely gone. Fantastic. So the other issue with injecting it probably for, for me was that she we didn't exactly know where the filler had been placed. Yeah. So because she'd had sort of an occlusion almost from tip to to above her glabella yeah we flooded the entire area because we i guess you're assuming sure. they've done the full liquid rhinoplasty and they've sort of injected right absolutely. along the nose absolutely some people even inject you know right at the base, at base. of the nose and yeah absolutely yeah so that was the end of the high lace, but it wasn't okay. the end of her journey. So five vials <laughs> five in. Five vials of high okay. lace. And I did see her for another three days after that. Yeah. And we popped her onto the LED just to yeah. get rid of, reduce some of that swelling mm. and bruising because it was quite intense. And um, 
And then about a month later, I did start her on a journey of skin needling. And that was because she had a little bit of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation in some of those areas. Yeah. So it was quite reddened, quite dark, um, and it was a little bit scarred. Yeah. Uh, We got very lucky. We actually got rid of all of it. That's incredible. So It's just so lucky lucky that she didn't have permanent damage, you know, vision, vision loss, necrosis of the skin absolutely after so many days and I guess um something we probably should have said at the start for you know consumers listening not to terrify people but noses are one of the highest areas for risks of vascular occlusion um I personally choose not to inject noses because I I like to sleep at night there's (laughs) me too there's obviously that risk in every other area of the face but the nose puts you at such a high risk of that, especially being so close to the eye. Um, so there's really not that many injectors, you know, in Australia who are actually doing noses. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't touch them. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. So I think this is why, you know, this case is so important and to even think about, you know, what, you know, what product, why was this, you know, happening? And then I guess looking at, you know, who was injecting absolutely in this case. And huge red flag that she did return to that clinic and they've said, oh, you know, everything's fine. When when it comes to noses, anything with noses, our ears prick up, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I did feel like I had a slight duty of care to inform that clinic of what I had yes. found. And I and I did reach out to them, but I didn't have a great a great resource. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Yeah. But um, as long as she was safe at the end of the day, yeah. that was that was my primary concern. Yeah. So. And then did the the patient then recontact that clinic to let them know like, hey, this was a vascular occlusion? Yeah, and- they were definitely they were definitely informed of that yeah. of that issue. Yeah. Um, I don't know where it went further from yeah. there. But and whether that changes policies and procedures, you know, absolutely. who knows? Absolutely. But- yeah, very, very scary. And yes. was she, um, like obviously she knew something was wrong, but had she been informed of, of the risks and what to look for after a treatment? Yeah, so no, she no. wasn't informed of what that could be. And yeah. at the beginning, probably in the first 12 to 24 hours, she thought she was just having um, a bit of hay fever and a bit of sinus. So yeah. it wasn't a red flag to her at the beginning to reach out immediately to the to the clinic because she was like, oh, I, I think it's probably unrelated. Totally. So yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is understanding that your patients need such huge education around yeah. around this. Well, they're not sure. the injectors. They're not the medical professionals. We can't expect them to go, oh, that's, that's not a bruise. That's, you know, delayed capillary refill. You know, so really telling them what those signs and symptoms are and really making a point of that because like that they, they might just innocently think, oh, it's, it's hay fever or it's just a headache or a bit of swelling um, and it could be something as, as da- damaging and scary as Absolutely. this. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. you know, that's the other thing is time is of the essence, right? Yeah. The quicker that you dissolve it, the better your outcome and yeah. the better your result. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know what you do, but obviously everybody should be um, educating their patients on, on what vascular occlusions might look like. Yeah. And I know that I do that quite significantly with my patients. They might get a little bit scared, but it's really important to inform them. Exactly. And the day after they all get a message as well. So they get a physical copy of aftercare. They get an email sent to them and then they also get a follow-up text message the next day to make sure that everything is okay. Yeah, Yeah. same. Yeah, so much education. Yeah. Um, And even at the 
like time of treatment with all my filler procedures, I actually do a complementary LED, which A, is nice for swelling and bruising, but it also keeps patients in my clinic for an extra, you know, 10, 15 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer. Um, And it allows me to then do a triple check when I take them off the LED. I always, you know, gloves back on and just say, I'm just going to check all that again. And I'm doing a triple check of that capillary refill before I let them go. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with the nose, I'm thinking there was probably signs and symptoms at the time. She did note to me that she'd had instant pain. Yeah. And it never went away. So yeah. that was a big red flag for me. That yeah. would have been a so, massive sign for yeah. most of us. To we would like, have kept Ooh. that patient in our clinic, right? Yeah, let's reassess that. Do we need to dissolve that? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. they would not have left. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying this podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by the Fit Injector Clinic Mentoring Program, business mentoring for cosmetic nurse injectors. If you are a registered nurse who wants to become a cosmetic injector or an existing cosmetic injector who wants to start their own business or scale up your existing business, I have just launched an online version of my mentoring program with video modules for you to work through in your own time, downloadable information for you to keep and a strategy call once you've completed that with me for 30 minutes to answer any questions that you have about starting or scaling up your business. If you want to get started, email me at admin at thefitinjector.com.au. So over the last couple of weeks, Nat, we have been putting up those little question things on our Instagram stories for followers to submit. Um, Nurses do like to put questions in there when I get another nurse on the podcast. So we've got some great questions here. So how do you avoid inject? This is a a two-part question. How do you you avoid injecting a vein causing a vascular occlusion and do you aspirate each time? Yeah, so I guess avoiding... Um, important blood vessels is is number one. So, you know, know your anatomy is is baseline. If you don't know or you don't feel confident, don't inject. Yeah. Don't even think about putting needle to skin. It's not worth it. Yeah. Uh, know your landmarks and obviously people's anatomy is slightly different and you can't always, you know, pinpoint exactly where, where their veins and arteries are, but we have a, a rough idea. Yeah. Uh, I always keep my needle moving. I don't know if anybody else does that, but I've always been taught that. It's not necessarily more safe, but you can get a feel for not always puncturing in the same yeah. area. And, I and know not putting a huge bolus in one spot. Absolutely. You know, yeah. tiny aliquots or really small boluses yeah. is how I always have been injecting, which is, is safer. You know, you don't want to put a massive glob of 0.5 mils in one in a piriform fossa and hope for the best. <laughs> and, and you're in the facial artery. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, – I think the great debate around aspirate versus not aspirate yeah. is a really is a really difficult one because it, it doesn't technically make you any safer, but yeah. I feel like it's my duty of care to do that. So I do aspirate. It's, a, it's like a reassurance thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And like I've, I've had multiple positive aspirations. Absolutely. And they could have been an occlusion go, oh. if you didn't aspirate. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I was about to put a nice little bolus in there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think... Although it doesn't technically make you any safer, yeah. it makes you a more conscious injector as well. It does. So you're you're thinking about what you're doing at all times. Yeah. And I think and it well, slows you down a little bit. So you're not just like absolutely. boom, 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 because you've actually got to really, you know, change your hand position and do that. And it it gives you that minute to be like, okay, where am I? 
what's underlying here? Just give you that extra moment. Absolutely. I mean, I change my needle frequently too. Yeah. And, you know, go slow. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was like, that was going to be my, my final point. Go slow. Why are you in a rush? This is a massive yeah. thing. This is somebody's face. And, you know, there's so many risks that can happen. I mean, bruising is just one and that happens all the time. Yeah. But, you know, a vascular occlusion is, is huge and you don't want to give someone one. So the more safe you can make it, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, those risks to, you know, consumers, those risks are there with, you know, every area we inject in the face. But, Absolutely. yes, there's lots of things that we can do to make the treatment safer. Um, and also knowing, like, I don't know about you, but I really interchange needle and cannula. Um, yes. Sometimes depending on the area that I'm in, whether it's a high risk area, sometimes depending on like the client and like you said, their anatomy too. Yeah. Sometimes if they're an older patient and I'm thinking, oh, they're, you know, and you can already see they've got so many vessels in their face and and I think you know I'm just going to use a cannula through here um and also reduce that trauma to the skin as well um and then yeah you know needle aspirating um a question I do get a lot because I have obviously posted on YouTube videos of like injecting lips um and then people go oh why aren't you aspirating the lips well that's an area that I don't aspirate because the needle is constantly moving you are very superficial and it would be very hard, you know, when you're doing your little like linear threads and things like that Absolutely. to be aspirating the whole time you're going. Um, but anywhere else where I'm going down to bone, I'm, I'm always aspirating. hundred yeah. percent. And I think also it also comes down to product selection. Yeah. You know, are you, are you thinking about your product selection and the patient's indication of, of what they want done? You know, dermal filler is viscous, but are we using thick or thin product? And what are you achieving with that? So it's about consideration of all those things, what size gauge you're using of your needle, what size gauge you're using of your cannula, all those types of things before yeah. you even think about putting it into your patient. Exactly. Yeah. Have a plan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, next question, how does a vascular occlusion occur? What are the signs? And I think we can answer this both for, you know, maybe newer injectors and also for patients. Absolutely. So obviously a vascular occlusion can occur when the dermal filler is 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 blocking or partially blocking a main blood vessel. So, you know, the main blood flow of of arteries and veins around your face and because of that, you can get tissue breakdown. Obviously, further going into that, we can get necrosis and you know cell death or other things like blindness and yeah. in extreme extreme cases death but i don't know if there has been any deaths yeah stroke maybe yeah absolutely to, um definitely. so i think in terms of of being an injector are you looking at the skin i always look at the skin i never look at the needle or syringe yeah. when i'm injecting always look at the skin looking at color is it is it blanching non-blanching straight away that is your first indicator look at your patient are they in pain yeah their, their pain should not be that high. And I don't know about you, but I inject a lot of women and women's pain thresholds are a lot higher than men's. <laughs> so so they're usually pretty chill. Yeah. So um, if they sort of jump, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, either, you know, you're near something or, yeah. Absolutely. And palpating, you know, can you can you feel where it is? And and do you know how much you've sort of put in there? Yeah. Don't be doing large boluses and and make sure you can feel where it is and and what it looks like. I think that's from a from an injector perspective. Yeah. If you're, if you're a patient, you know, thinking, about that pain and and speaking up speaking yeah. up does it look really different is it actually a bruise you know 
what does it feel like to touch? Does it look white? Does it look sort of blue tingy or does it look like it's turning into a bruise? Yeah. Is it really, really swollen? All those types of things is how I explain it to my patients before they leave clinic. Yeah. And and also like you you were saying before about checking as an injector about your capillary refill, like that's super important. It's almost the number one sign of making sure that you don't have a vascular occlusion. Yeah. Is it brisk? If it's not brisk, don't send them home. Yeah, keep them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know about you. I've had one or two where I've been a bit, oh, let's just wait. Yeah, yeah. Let's just wait. Especially those patients that they are, you know, quite vascular or um, you would have seen it before where some clients, they do have sort of natural like white patches, like particularly around the lips and things, and then you yes. maybe give them a little bruise and then you think, oh, I'm just going to keep you here and check that a few more times. And, you know, 99% of the time it's fine, it's a bruise, but I would rather keep someone in my clinic than Me send too. them home. And then, you know, there's an issue that Absolutely. that you've delayed because um, I guess uh, an important point to note for injectors and patients that, you know, time with getting this Hylase is the most important thing. The quicker we can administer Hylase in these sort of situations, the better the outcomes are going to be. Yeah, and I think as a patient you should know that this is available too. So, yeah. you know, I say to my patients, if this does occur, which is rare but does happen, we can get rid of it. So you need to reach back out yes. to us and these are the things you need to look for. Yeah. I tell them like all the signs and symptoms, what to look for um, and what would happen that I do carry that product and that they would need to come straight back to our clinic if they had any concerns. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's it's allowing like patients to know that, you know, unfortunately, yes, this can happen, but this is how I'd manage it. And them having confidence in you that you will be able to manage it and also that they'll be able to contact you. Yes. The amount of times you hear these cases and you know, the clinic's locked up and they've all gone on a three-day holiday for the weekend and no one's got a clinic phone or any way of, you know, clients contacting them is terrifying. You know, I do try and, you know, switch off from work on the weekends, but I've always got the clinic phone on me and I do check that regularly. So if there were any issues, yeah, I'm going to come into my clinic, even if it's like you, it's Absolutely. it's nine o'clock at night and I would come in and I would see a patient, of course. I think, uh, I think the other thing is I'm sure you do the same thing, you know, if you're going to go on holidays or anything like that. Make sure that you aren't doing filler too close to that because yeah. your responsibility for that patient is to, to care for them until till the end of that treatment. If they yeah. end up with a vascular occlusion. And you're already on a plane halfway yeah. across the world, but you, you injected them this what morning. What are you going to do? Yeah. And I have heard of those cases. Same. So I think it's really important, but also to have a network of, of friends around you that yeah. that can also support you and back you if in the event that this happens. Exactly. And yeah. I think the other thing is just knowing that your patient knows what to look for that's just yeah. the biggest thing knowing what to look for cool. and knowing to contact and knowing if they to have contact. any concerns yeah don't leave it yeah and the don't feel like better. you're annoying us or you know <laughs> yeah it's gonna go away we want to know about it even if it is a bruise i would rather you come back in i check it you Absolutely. do an led just to make sure and we're all happy we are all happy <laughs> everyone's happy so does it become less daunting with experience this person said i am so scared of a vo yep everybody's scared of a vo yeah. you should be more scared of not knowing how to use highlays yeah so <laughs> vo's might happen it will and the more you inject the more experience you get the more likely you're going to have one yeah so i think you know treat it like it's 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 your Bible. Treat it like it's the last thing you think about at night. Read your protocol on Hylase over and over again. I would even run some simulations in your clinic about drawing it up yeah. and also have more of it on hand than you think. 
Yeah. I always have 10 vials yeah, at a minimum. <laughs> and that's because I went through five, five. In, one turn, in one turn. And then what if you had another patient calling you going, oh. One of my patients. You and know? then you're having to call me or someone Absolutely. else going, can I Absolutely. borrow some highlights? Absolutely. Look, I've been very lucky. I haven't had a vascular occlusion on any of my patients, but I have treated three of them in the past. So the wow. confidence definitely comes w- with experience. Yeah. And I've been very, very lucky to have that. And I, and I think what's important is to not get uh, so caught up in the actual emergency of the event, yeah. knowing just that you have to inject, where to inject, that type of thing. Yeah. And knowing how getting, to yeah, draw it up so you're not panicking yes. when you do have to draw yes. it up. So, I, I mean, in my clinic I have like a, a first aid box that yeah. I have all of my things in for it. I've got the aspirin in there. I've got my EpiPen in there. I've got all of my highlays in there. I've got um, – well, I don't need this, but I've got a stethoscope. I've got a few other yeah. random bits and pieces that if you need to do an assessment of the patient like this, how do, how do you deal with this? Yeah. All of these things. I have, exactly I have the a same. laminated version of the Hylase protocol, yeah. all that sort of yeah. stuff. Because in prepared. that moment, if you're stressing and your patient's stressing and even though on the outside you're like, oh, everything's fine, um, but it, it is good to even just have it written written down Absolutely. so you just know, right, I'm just going to follow these steps, especially for a new injector. Absolutely. I guess there's one more thing we could add to the end of that, which would be this is the advice I give when I am mentoring other nurses who are, you know, quite new as injectors um, when, you know, because I always get that question, you know, I'm so scared of a VO because, they've, you know, they've done their hands-on training um, and they come away terrified, is to book yourself into some courses. There's some really good ones like Face Coach Run on yes. co- complication management and they go through vascular occlusions but they also go th- through things like infections, delayed onset nodules, like pretty much yes. anything that can go wrong with filler. And I always recommend, you know, and there's a few places that do similar courses, um, is to really go and educate yourself on that. And then, like you said, just practice drawing up some highlays as well. Um, and, and have that, uh, have a kit. Um, I have the same as you in my clinic with everything that we need in there. Yeah. And, and just, on that, I think also like associating yourself with, with someone like AMET as yes. well, you know, having a backup, have that support and, and that 24 hour support. And, and, yeah, just knowing that you know what to do in the event yeah. is, is – it's like doing a resuscitation, right? Yeah. The more skills you have around it, the more times you practice it, the easier it gets in the exactly. event that it happens. And it is unlikely, but the more you're injecting, yeah. the more likely it yeah. becomes. So be confident in how you'd manage it. Absolutely. Yeah. Next question is, do you prefer to dilute your hyalase with bariostatic saline, normal saline, or lidocaine? Yeah, so I always carry one percent lidocaine. Yeah. So always, I, I've always done my my highlights with that, yeah, me and too. mostly because of patient comfort. Yeah, uh, it does burn a bit. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and and you know it, they're already in so much pain. Yeah, you're trying to reduce that. Yeah, uh, and if you often have to do you know multiple, multiple rounds, five vials. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just about patient comfort. I mean, in the event that you don't have it, you can absolutely use normal yeah. saline. Um, and I, I would definitely not use 2% lignocaine. Uh, I know Dr. John Holbrook talks lack about this all the time at length about it being potentially cardiotoxic. Yeah. So, you know, your 1% is sufficient enough, yeah. especially if you're doing like I did, multiple rounds. Exactly. Yeah, so, you've got to think about where's that that limit for that patient and absolutely. how much lidocaine have I given because them. Because we could have gone another five rounds mm-hmm. 
over another couple of days exactly. or even on that evening if I couldn't get any capillary refill. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, for, for patient comfort, I always use yeah, 1%. Yeah, same, I do 1%. Yeah. Um, even if it's like correction work, same. Or, you know, migrated lips and things like that, again, yeah. just for comfort. Yeah, because it is, a, it's, it's a lot more stingy than getting than yeah. getting just filler. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like, ooh. Yeah. yeah, so it is good to, you know, anything we can do to make treatments more comfortable. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, Nat, um, when we organised this podcast and we wrote these podcast notes, it was before we had these very abrupt changes from TGA, which came out last week. And off air when you arrived, we were sort of doing our heads in on how we would explain this case without using the word dermal filler, which we're apparently not allowed to say anymore, even though it is a vascular occlusion which is caused by dermal filler and that we didn't want to confuse patients with them maybe thinking that it was anti-wrinkle that caused a vascular occlusion. So as a little addition to this podcast, how are you feeling about these recent changes? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's becoming really difficult to educate patients and I think without the use of that terminology, patients will become extremely confused. It's going to convolute the way we use it use it and advertise and educate our patients on on safety aspects of these treatments i understand that there's a really big issue around advertising s4 medications and medications that require prescription and and i'm all for that but i think from this point of view i don't think that this is actually looking at patient safety in which the tga has said on multiple occasions is their primary concern yeah and I'm just not sure where this leads to and how we can better educate people I feel like this means that they're going to need to be looking offshore yeah for their educational status and also how do we then as practitioners make it safe and offer those treatments and give that education without the ability to say those yeah without sending wishy-washy and confusing and I guess these words are descriptive words which we've used for you know a really long time because for those who who don't know in Australia under the TGA regulations we cannot say the brand names of these products um, which is fine and I feel like patients understand that but now taking those descriptive words away how do we differentiate between the treatments that we are providing absolutely and I think that as you know more people get involved in wanting to get cosmetic injectables they will fall into this category of 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 sort of misconceived ideas not not sure about what this might be or or what am I signing up for or what am I booking a consultation for I don't know what I need and I understand we we all do thorough consultations and we all need to provide those and I know that that's where the TGA was moving with that type of thing um but sometimes they just want to understand how something works yes. and what the risks and side effects might be or the benefits to some things. Yeah. And if we can't provide that um, through either, you know, any types of media, social media, uh, websites, all those types of things, those those people are missing that mark. Yeah. The general general public don't understand no. what that means. And they might be really confused whether we even provide the treatments that they're looking for at all. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I would, I'd really appreciate some more information from the TGA. Like give, give me a rationale as to how this makes treatments in the chair safer for patients. Give me a rationale for that. And also give me the terminology that is, is okay to use. That's correct. Because this, you know, we can consult you on 
reducing wrinkles. Now, not all of our patients want to reduce wrinkles. Some people want symmetry correction. Some people um, may have had surgeries. They've got scarring. Like there's so many things we do beyond wrinkles. So I feel like we've been kind of generalized in what we Absolutely. do as well. And I also think on top of that, a lot of um, beauty industry, like skin therapies and things like that, claim the same thing. Yes. So are we delving and, and tiptoeing into a really dangerous territory yeah. of the underground world yeah. of people using illegal products, using yeah. things that, that aren't approved? Yeah. And Why don't we look at regulating that? What about the people importing products that aren't TGA approved Absolutely. what about why don't we look at people's qualifications what is a you know a standard level of qualification to be an injector what what does your clinic look like do you have a, an actual set up clinic yeah. or are you doing this you know in your lounge room yeah and and, <laughs> and and how are you providing your patients the confidence that you know what you're doing yeah and and all of that is based on that yeah what's your background what's your knowledge what's your education and what products are you using and where are you getting them yeah. from yeah. So I, I feel like it's it's quite a dangerous yeah. area if not used correctly. So I feel like getting more information about what the correct terminology is and what we can use will be better, but I don't think that it necessarily makes the industry yeah. a safer place for And patients. I like what you said before. I think it is. It's, it's almost blurring those lines between us and beauty treatments and nothing against those, and I do so many skin treatments in the clinic, but if they really want to, to separate that and make us a very medical, we'll give us some proper terminology to use because when it comes to, you know, reducing wrinkles, well, I've got a whole heap of skin treatments that help to reduce wrinkles. So, But, you know, Absolutely. how do I then talk about the medical side? of the cosmetic injectables that I do. I agree with you. Yeah. And, and yeah, how do we differentiate that? You know, you need a, you need a degree to be able to be a cosmetic injector where yeah. you, you only need diplomas and things like that to do skin treatments. Yeah. And this is the whole push about not using generic or brand names yeah. of our products that we inject was to be really specific that they are a medical product, a medical um, prescription is required. And now it's that it feels like we're going a little bit backwards yeah. in the ability to actually describe exactly what we are able to do with them yeah. and what they can provide patients. Not necessarily saying you should get that. It's not an advertising no, campaign. It's, it's more about what can be done. Exactly. And these patients won't know. Yeah. And do you feel like because last year we had APRA changing some regulations and now you've got TGA, but they're kind of contradictory because APRA was saying, on social media that we need to be a lot clearer about what the treatment was and actually use more descriptive words about exactly the treatment the patient was having. And now the TGA is saying we can't use these descriptive words. So I'm like, are these guys, like, do they sit down and have like a board meeting or something? Because yeah. now I'm really confused. And and if we're confused, how does the general public feel? <laughs> exactly. What about our poor first-time patient who's trying to, you know, scroll on, on a website or social media and work out whether you provide these treatments or not and, and wanting to know, you know, what the difference is. And I don't know about you, but often for a first-time patient, they don't even know the difference between anti-wrinkle injections and dermal no. filler. And the fact that we have a description on our, you know, website and social media on the differences of those, that helps to educate them. But now it's like it's just going to sound wishy-washy, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like what it's sort of done is sort of dumbed it down a yeah. little bit, if that makes a bit of sense. Yeah. You know, we sound like we don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> but we do. We're just not – we're sort of like – 
we're gagged. We're yeah. not allowed to say a specific yeah. thing. It sounds a little bit silly. Yeah. <laughs> I have to really think. Like we're forgetting our words or something. Yeah, because it make, you need to now describe it in a really long way that's not quite accurate. Yeah. So that that person is not actually getting adequate information. Yeah. They're not getting And educated. how does that give them confidence in, in us? They might think, oh, does she even know what she's talking about? Does she know how to use a needle? Yeah. <laughs> like, is it her first day? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious as to a, a follow-up statement in yeah. regards to it about how this is going to benefit patients yeah. and, and what terminology is acceptable because a lot of people are going to have to change their social media, yeah. their websites yeah. their signage uh, there's a there's a large amount to it and where does yeah. it stop exactly and i don't think it's going to stop and they have not necessarily threatened but they've spoken a lot about there being a lot more regulations around the cosmetic industry so i i suspect there will be more of this yeah but it's about where does it stop in relation to how does it create patient safety yeah but when does it stop becoming taboo and then leading into a dark avenue? Yeah. If that makes Absolutely. any sense. Absolutely. I yeah. don't want it to be this whole, oh, we can't say this, so we're just going to say this, but it makes no sense. Exactly. Type of world. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, we just need we just need better communication from the TGA to yeah. to, dis- to help us describe and give patients. Yeah. Information and just and regulate the things that actually have a direct implication on patient safety. I'm all for that. Absolutely. You know, tell me what further qualifications I need, you know, um, come and assess what products I'm using in my clinic, you know, all of, you know, make sure everyone's using a, you know, certain, I don't know, products, prescribers, you know, wh- whatever it comes down to. But words on social media, I just. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it just, it doesn't really do the patient any justice no. by making it wishy-washy. Yeah. and not helping us to educate them and not helping us to give them clear guidelines of what they can and can't have. Yeah. And, yes, absolutely, everybody needs to come in for a thorough consultation. Yeah. You could book in for 10 things and think you can have all of these and when you come into my clinic I can be like, no, you don't probably need say all of no these. to nine of them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we can start with this <laughs> and then go from there and these yeah. are all the risks exactly. and complications associated with it. Give them complete informed consent and then go ahead with their treatment. Exactly. But if they don't understand what they're coming in for at all, A, why would they come in at all? Yeah. But B, how do they know what's on offer? Yeah. How do they know what what can be done for them, not what should be done for them? Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have a few questions for the PGA. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and we do have a webinar tonight which will hopefully give us a little bit more information. Yeah. And I, I just hope over the next few weeks that the TGA do provide some more information for injectors yeah. and clinics. Some clarification yeah. and, and perhaps maybe some consultation prior to making these decisions. Yeah. Wider consultation about what we as injectors think yeah. and what we know to be safe. Yeah. Is it a bunch of people in a boardroom making these decisions? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 16 of this video podcast series. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. A huge thank you to Natalie for joining me today. Thank you so much good. for having me. Thank you so much for sharing your story. So I really hope it helps new injectors or all injectors um, and also patients out there on, on these types of treatments. Me too. Thank you so much for having Thanks. me.